Good morning. Good morning, Grandpa. I met Lloyd probably coming up two and a half years ago. When I found him, I was just doing my early morning route. Found him behind uh, the packing house. My name is Grandpa Lloyd. Well, this was our camp. There was a lot more bushes here. So anybody passing on either side couldn't see us in this little area. Can I go to the dollar store and buy a couple of cans of Spam for a buck and a half a can? And you'd come for lunch at the Gospel Mission too, Sometimes. Right? Sometimes yeah. And yeah. then whatever I brought you in the morning yeah. to eat. I told them about the outreach program and that I come out every morning and I look for people and I feed them and clothe them, hopefully engage with them and connect so that we could um, work on a plan. So Lloyd was willing early on. I'm gonna get a consent form right now. Will you sign it? Just to give me permission to work on your behalf? Yeah. Okay, I'll go grab one, okay? And he was actually surprised that we could get ID and we could get him new glasses. This makes it so much easier to have somebody who cares about you. A lot of the people on the street, they don't care about anybody else but themselves. And gospel mission done so much. And also, the main thing is we were able to get him off the street and into housing. I got a beautiful place now. Very nice private. Everything I need, I don't have to share with anybody. Got a nice, clean, quiet home. That's the way I like to live. If it wasn't for Joanne and the Gospel Mission, I probably would still be on the street. I just want to say at the very beginning that it's an honor for me to be with you here today. Uh, my name is Troy McKnight, and I am privileged to work at Kelowna's Gospel Mission. I'm super excited to be sharing and really excited to continue to build a strong partnership with KGF uh, moving forward. My role at Kelowna's Gospel Mission is in corporate and community relations, which is just a fancy way of saying that I build relationships with companies, with donors, and with faith communities, so as to educate them about the scope of the ministry and the mission of Kelowna's Gospel Mission, and also uh, to help raise resources. People resources, so think volunteers, as well as financial resources, money, stocks, estate planning, and uh, money for special projects. And so it's a real honor for me to be here. This is a new opportunity for me at Kelowna's Gospel Mission. I'm in month six. Uh, but there's been a steep learning curve, but I am loving my position and feel incredibly blessed uh, to be a part of bringing tangible help and resources to people in our community who are struggling with homelessness and 
addiction. Now, before we jump into the message this morning, Phil gave me permission to kind of give you a whirlwind tour of what we are all about at Kelowna's Gospel Mission. Now, I just want to warn you in advance, this is fast. There's a lot of information that's going to be coming your way, but don't worry. Uh, I will be around and available. Phil will have my contact information. I would love an opportunity to connect with anyone who has more questions. I'd love to answer those and have conversations about what it would look like uh, for you to partner with us in significant ways moving forward. So here is the whirlwind tour. Now, when I say Kelowna's Gospel Mission, many about, many people think about our shelter on Leon Avenue. Uh, and that is a small part of the larger picture of what we do. We do have a shelter on Leon Avenue where we have 60 male residents, and there we provide a bed, shelter, blankets, warm clothes, healthy food, connection, community, as well as ongoing case management as we help walk beside them uh, in the name of Jesus, leading them from their journey from homelessness to wholeness. Uh, in December, we had the opportunity to open a second shelter on Doyle Avenue. This was supposed to be an emergency shelter just for the winter, but because of need, we've been asked to extend that and will now be a full-time shelter moving forward. Here we have 50 residents, both male and female, who also are, enjoy the same care, compassion, shelter, food, and case management as our residents at Leon as well. We also have four houses that are specifically geared towards women's ministries. They're under our Harmony umbrella. We have Harmony and Shiloh House. These houses focus in on providing shelter, compassionate care, and a Bible-based recovery program for women who are moving from addiction to wholeness. And then we have Sela Houses 1 and 2, which provide affordable, sustainable, and supportive housing for under-resourced women who live in community together. Beyond this, we have a not-for-profit dental clinic that many people don't know about. This clinic is open to anyone in our community who finds themselves under or uninsured. We want to be sure that everyone in the community has access to good dental care and hygiene because we believe good oral health is a foundation to overall health, and it's a way that we want to invest in and strengthen our community. The dental clinic runs on a sliding scale, so anyone can come and take advantage of services on a scale that works for their income and their ability to actually pay into uh, the time, their time in the dental clinic. Uh, beyond that, we have just finished a new fundraiser for our community outreach. All right, we've raised money for two new Sprinter vans. During the COVID pandemic, we've had to expand our community outreach services, and so our first Sprinter van is called our community outreach van, and it heads out into the community three times a day, delivering more than 245 meals to in, people in partner shelters, people in transitional housing, as well as people who are living on the street. Beyond the food, we provide blankets, tents, sunscreen, water, hygiene packs, wellness packs, and much, much more. We also have a caseworker who travels with the community outreach van every single day, and there's a mobile workstation in the van where she can begin to connect with people, build relationships with them where they're at, and begin to expedite their journey towards wholeness. They've been having an incredible impact in our community, and we're excited to see what's next for them. The second Sprinter van that we purchased is actually in Vancouver being retrofitted as a food truck. This is a new endeavor for us. We're launching a social, social enterprise later this summer. On some days, it will provide support to the outreach van, but on most days, it'll be focused on being a for-profit business, a social enterprise for Kelowna's Gospel Mission, with all profits coming back into the mission, supporting the programs that we offer to the greater community. But more than that, it will also be a place where our residents who are ready to take their next step in their journey can actually have gainful employment and begin to build skills that will help them carry their journey forward. So be on the lookout for the Kelowna Gospel Mission food truck launching later this year. Uh, lastly, I want to talk about a new program called our Momentum Ministries program. 
We are super excited about this program. There are six Momentum Ministries room loca rooms located in our Leon shelter. They're individual rooms where people move from the larger shelter into an individual space. They begin to pay rent. They learn about budgeting. They have employment training. They find jobs. And it helps them be that in that transitional space that makes that next step into the journey towards finding a full-time home. Uh, we are very excited about the results that we are seeing and looking to build more space moving forward. Lastly, we have two, uh, we have two thrift stores as well, one on, in Rutland and a new one opening on the west side soon. Our thrift stores not only provides goods and services to our residents and service users, but they are also a great place for you to become involved by donating your lightly used goods so that we can sell them and bring money back into the programs we offer. So next time you're looking for that special purchase, why not check out our Rutland store or in August, our West Side store. You might find just what you're looking for and all funds go back into the ministry here at Kelowna's Gospel Mission. Well, that's it in a nutshell. And as I said, it's a lot, I know. But that's kind of the point. Uh, there is a lot going on and we would love you to be a part of it, to join us in praying, in volunteering your time and your talents, in becoming a corporate partner, in becoming a, a, a single donor. If you'd like to learn more, I would love to speak with you further. Please feel free to reach out, and I look forward to seeing you uh, soon and having further conversations along the way. Um, well, that's it. And I'll just be honest with you at the very beginning here. This is new for me, this whole camera thing. So bear with me as I kind of settle in. I'm here to preach this morning, but before we dive in, first I want to talk about this massive pack that's sitting in front of me. Um, we talked about how we could partner together in a really tangible way. And this is one of those ways. This is a wellness pack. And I know that the information has been sent out to families and to hub groups so that you can see exactly what goes in here, description and pictures. And we just want to encourage you to consider building one of these wellness packs together with your families, with your hub, with your friends, and bring them into the church, or you can drop them off at our Abbott Street uh, administrative offices. All the information has been sent to you, and that will make a huge difference in the lives of people who are facing the challenges of homelessness and addiction this summer. Lastly, kids, I know that you have a special project today uh, that we're going to invite you to do during the message. We're going to ask you to get out some paper, some color crayons, some pencils, some glitter, some glue. Parents don't want the glitter and glue, but kids, just go for it. Get whatever you can find, and we're going to encourage you to create a card of encouragement and blessing that we can give out to our service users and our residents. It is so important for people who find themselves struggling with homelessness and addiction to know that they are seen and loved and valued. And this is a tangible way that we can send anonymous messages that remind them that they are seen and loved. And so kids, this is an opportunity to get creative and make something beautiful and encouraging to be able to be given to our residents and service users. And I can't wait to see what you create moving forward. Well, all right, it's time to jump into the message. So if you have your Bibles with you, or if you have it on your piece of paper, you're, uh, you can check it out. It's, uh, as, as Phil read, it's Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 34. And I'll just invite you to kind of follow along with me as we unpack it together this morning. This passage has come alive for me this year. I started studying it early on during the Lenten and Easter season. I just couldn't get away from it. You see, I've discovered that this is kind of the backstory to the very popular passage that we often study when we're in Matthew's Gospel at that time of year, which is Palm Sunday. Now, most of us are probably familiar with Palm Sunday. We know the story pretty well. Jesus heads into Jerusalem, traveling from Jericho with a huge crowd of people, and he sends disciples ahead to go get a donkey and a foal, and then he sits on said donkey, and he rides ahead, and there's a crowd ahead of him and a crowd laying down palm branches and coats, and they are yelling at the top of their lungs, Hosanna, which literally means save, or God, save us, blessed 
blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven. And we're told that all of Jerusalem quaked and people asked, who is this? And the crowd responded, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the prophet from Galilee. Most of us know that story really, really well. But I want to suggest that the story that we're going to look at today is the backstory that actually helps us understand exactly what was happening. You see, I think today what we're going to discover is that Jesus kind of flips the script on the, on the people who are traveling with him that day. And I want to suggest that Jesus continues to want to flip the script on us in our lives today. And so let's kind of dive in and see where we end up. The story begins with Jesus in, Jeruz in Jericho, getting ready to make the 17-mile trek to Jerusalem with his disciples. And already a crowd is gathering. They're abuzz. And here's the thing that we have to understand, that the people who are gathering that day, they all had a script in mind that they were writing for what the Messiah would be like, who he would be, what he would do, the kind of kingdom he would bring. You see, there was great anticipation around the Passover that perhaps now this would be the day that Messiah came and rescued Israel once again. And the script that they had running through their, through, through their mind went something like this. The Messiah will come to power again. The Messiah will crush their enemies, think Roman Empire. He will drive them from the land. He will restore, he will restore the proper worship of Yahweh. He will raise Israel up again to its Davidic uh, splendor. See, for them, it was all about a return of Israel to power and prestige and honor on the global stage. This is the kind of Messiah they were expecting. This is the kind of kingdom they were hoping and longing for, that Israel be restored to power and prestige and prominence, prominence once again. That's the script that most people were following. That's the story they were writing. That is the kingdom that they were longing for. And so at this time of year at Passover, with people full of messianic expectation, Jesus begins his journey towards Jerusalem, a 17-mile journey from Jericho. A crowd is gathered together, and Jesus knows that they are all writing their own scripts, and so he wants to be sure that his disciples are following his script, that they're a part of his story. And so we'll notice that right away he brings them together in a private conversation. He says, all right, guys, just want you to know this is the way things are going to unfold. We're going to head to Jerusalem, and there the Son of Man is going to be turned over to the teachers of the law, and they are going to condemn him to death, and then they're going to turn him over to the Gentiles, read Romans, and then he will be mocked and flogged and crucified, but on the third day, he'll be raised to life. Got it? Good. We're all on the same page. And when you think about it, it's pretty clear. But you see, what we soon discover is that the disciples, they were writing their own script. They had their own story in mind. They were looking for a different kind of Messiah too. And because of that, they missed who Jesus was and what he was up to. And if we want evidence of that, look no further than two of his best friends, James and John, on the heels of Jesus being incredibly clear with his Coles Notes version of what was going to happen when they went to Jerusalem. On the heels of all that, here comes James and John with their talent agent, also their mother, and they kneel before Jesus. And then with all of the class of a character out of Honey Boo Boo, Mrs. Zebedee actually says, hey, Here's what I would like, Jesus. I have a request of you. Could my two boys have starring roles in your kingdom that's about to explode on the scene? Could they sit at your left hand and your right hand when you enter and bring the kingdom? Now, I want to be clear. Mrs. Zebedee, she is not thinking about a kind of pie-in-the-sky, by-and-by kind of kingdom that's out there somewhere someday. No, no, no. She is talking about a kingdom that she and her boys believed Jesus was going to bring in the present now as he entered Jerusalem during the Passover. 
It's incredible, but they've completely missed who Jesus is, what kind of kingdom he's bringing, and what he's all about. Jesus seems absolutely shocked by her request. And he cries out, you don't know what you're asking. And I was fascinated by this phrase. So I did a little bit of digging and a number of commentators mentioned that Jesus see, understood in that moment that he wasn't heading to Jerusalem to sit on a throne covered with gold. But his throne was going to be a cross covered in blood. And that it wouldn't be two disciples on either side, his left and his right, but it would be two political criminals who were being crucified on their own bloody crosses. And so Jesus asked them, dismayed, do you really think you can drink from the cup that I'm going to drink from? And two of his best friends, James and John, say, yes, we do. To which Jesus answers, well, actually, you will. You see, Jesus knows that eventually they're going to get it. Eventually, they're going to join his story. They're going to get on script. They're going to follow in his footsteps. And one day, they too will lay down their lives for the sake of the kingdom. But in this moment right now, they still don't get it. They're following a different kingdom script. As you can imagine, the other 10 were thrilled when they heard the news that uh, James and John's mummy was trying to get her little boys starring roles in the kingdom that was to come. Scripture tells us that they were angry. They were furious with James and John. Have you ever stopped to wonder why? Could it be that they were upset because James and John got there first? Could it be that each and every one of them was writing their own script in their own mind, creating their own places in the story that was unfolding, places of prominence and honor and power that they hoped to assume when Jesus entered Jerusalem that day. Finally, in verse 24 and 25, Jesus has enough. Jesus gathers the disciples together and he flips the script on them. He clearly outlines for them the fact that he is not that kind of Messiah. And that's not the kind of kingdom that he is bringing. The kingdom that Jesus is bringing is not a kingdom that's all about power and military might and coercion. It's not the kind of kingdom that's about being famous and being recognized and being elevated. It's not the kind of kingdom that comes in and, and crushes its enemies and subdues them and lords over them and holds them in an iron fist and makes them pay for the cruelty that they've done. That is not the kind of kingdom Jesus is bringing. Jesus wants them to understand that he's a different kind of king. Jesus is bringing a kingdom that will forever put an end to the myth of redemptive violence. Put an end to the idea that the way to overcome violence and oppression is through more violence and oppression. The idea that if we could just come to power, if we could just get the right people in power with the right ideas and the right beliefs, then we could actually make our enemies acquiesce to our way of thinking and believing and acting. And then, then we could build the kind of kingdom and world where there would be peace. In case you're wondering, that never ever works. We've been trying to build kingdoms like that from the beginning of time, and they always, always fail. You see, Jesus wants his disciples to understand that he's bringing a different kind of kingdom, a kingdom where grace abounds, where forgiveness flows, where we actually love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, where self-sacrificing love conquers hate, a kingdom where if you want to be great, then you must be the servant 
of all. Because Jesus says, as the Messiah, as the King, I didn't come to be served, but to be a servant and to lay my life down as a ransom for many. Jesus is basically saying to his disciples, if you want to be great in my kingdom, then you must be the servant of all. And I would suggest that would mean the servant of the least and the lost and the marginalized in particular. Jesus says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, then you need to become like me. Love like I love, forgive like I forgive, embrace like I embrace, welcome like I welcome, and love like I love. Jesus says, if you do that, then you'll be joining my story. You'll be part of my kingdom. And when you do that, my will will be done and my kingdom will come in and through you. And in case you're wondering, well, okay, so Jesus is bringing a different kind of kingdom. What does that look like? Well, he doesn't leave his disciples or us to think about that for very long because we're told as he's moving with this massive crowd from Jericho towards Jerusalem, they very quickly come upon two blind men who are begging at the side of the road. Now, this was not unusual at all for this part of the world in the first century. You see, this was a very busy trade route between two wealthy cities. So it was very common that on this road between Jericho and Jerusalem, those on the margins would often be there, soliciting life-giving alms from those who are passing by. We also have to understand that in the first century, these blind men were some of the most marginalized people in society. They were marginalized. They were outcasts. They were isolated. They were considered by many to be ceremonially unclean because of their blindness and, more importantly, the sin that most people believed had led to their circumstances that they found themselves in. They were outsiders, marginalized, untouchable. That's who these blind men were. We're told that they, somehow they hear that Jesus is in the mass of people who are, fall, who are on their way to Jerusalem. I'm going to guess that maybe a very excited pilgrim who had his own script going about what Jesus was up to may have been saying something like, oh, we can't wait to get to Jerusalem where Jesus crushes those Romans. And we finally, finally get our kingdom back again. But whatever the case, they hear that Jesus is in the mass of crowd that's traveling by and they begin to call out at the top of their lungs, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. I want you to notice the title that they address him with, Lord, Son of David. It's the exact same title that the crowds will be cheering and calling out as Jesus is welcomed into Jerusalem later in the day. But here's what I find fascinating. These two blind men on the side of the road that day, out of all the people who are crowded around Jesus, getting ready to celebrate him as the Messiah entering Jerusalem, they're the ones who actually see him for who he is. They see him as the son of David who has come to bring grace and peace, to bring healing and restoration. They see him as the son of David who has come to welcome everyone, to love everyone, to bring healing to even marginalized outcasts like them. Dare we say, they see him as the Messiah who's come to bring wholeness. You see, those two blind men, they see Jesus for who he really is. Now, I want you to notice how the crowd reacts. 
they become angry. They try to shut these guys down. They want them to stop calling, stop talking, just let Jesus get on with it. You see, I would suggest that the crowd is angry because they see these two blind men as getting in the way of the work of the kingdom that Jesus is about to do. They look at these blind men and what they see is a distraction, an inconvenience, a barrier that has to be overcome so that they can get going with the real work of the kingdom moving forward. They're thinking things like, don't these guys know that there's an enemy to be overthrown? There's theological wrongs to be made right. There's power to be wielded in the name of God. There are oppressors to be discharged from the land. There, there's like, there's critics to be humbled. There's, there's a power and prestige to be grabbed. And there, there's, a, there's a nation to be elevated on the global stage again. Why are these guys distracting Jesus from the most important thing? Friends, I just want you to know that as I've studied this, this section, it's the crowd that gets me every time. Because you see, if you're anything like me, their actions and their thoughts, they're not too foreign to us as followers of Jesus today. The sad truth is, often when we see people on the margins, people who are perhaps homeless, struggling with addiction, traumatized, often we see them in exactly the same way. When it comes to living our lives and, and doing the business of the kingdom, it's really easy for us to see people as distractions, as obstacles, as barriers that we have to somehow move around or get past so that we can get on with doing the really important work of the kingdom. See, I think if we were gut level honest this morning, Many of us could identify with that crowd a lot more than we might like to admit. But here's what I love. Jesus invites us into a better way. He shows us a better way. He invites us to embrace a whole new way of living and being in the world of, in, as citizens of the kingdom that he is bringing. I want you to notice what he does. This is so beautiful. These two blind men refuse to be quiet and they shout all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us, have mercy on us. And the scripture tells us that Jesus stopped. Now don't miss this because this sounds simple, but this is profound. Jesus stopped. He stopped the journey that he was on. He stopped the conversations he was having. He stopped moving with the crowd towards this huge celebratory event in Jerusalem. He actually laid aside the agenda that he was working with for the day and he stopped and he turned his attention to these marginalized, isolated men. He stopped. And in stopping and in looking and in addressing these men, he affirmed their personhood. He said, you have value. He showed them that they are seen and heard and loved. Jesus stops. And in stopping, he recognizes them for the precious, beautiful sons of God that they are. He takes a step toward them to get a closer look. And I want you to try to picture the scene. Can you picture a busy, dusty road weaving through the countryside? 
People crowded all around, a hubbub and all kinds of excitement about how Jesus is going to Jerusalem and it's finally happening. And yet here Jesus steps up and there are these two blind men. Their clothes are worn and tattered. Their hair is full of the dust that has been kicked up by literally thousands of pilgrims passing them by with their donkeys and camels loaded with goods and supplies for the celebration. Their beards are matted. Their skin is covered with cuts and bruises and, and scars from them stumbling around desperately trying to find their way. Their eyes are dark and cloudy and unseeing. Can you picture them on that road? Can you picture them with people still moving on by as if they aren't even there? And yet Jesus stops. And then he asks them, what is it that you want from me? And immediately say, we want our sight. I think it's easy for us to read the story and be like, well, duh, of course they want their sight. But friends, I would suggest that this is about way more than these men receiving their sight. Because you see, in first century culture, the fact that they were blind marginalized them socially, economically, religiously, spiritually, you see, for these men to receive their sight would mean they could be restored to their families. They could be restored to the dignity of worship in the synagogue. They could be restored to meaningful work. They could be restored to the community. What these men are asking Jesus to do in this moment is not just to restore their sight. They're asking him to make them whole again, whole physically, emotionally, spiritually, religiously, culturally. Friends, this is a huge ask. To have their sight restored in the first century would change everything for them. And I love what happens next. We're told Jesus is moved with compassion at the core of who he is, and he steps up and he touches the untouchable ones. And immediately they receive their sight. See, without saying a word to any of the disciples or any of the crowd that's surrounding him, Jesus is teaching them exactly the kind of, the kind of kingdom that he is bringing, exactly what it looks like to be great in the kingdom of God. He's showing them the kind of script he's writing for each of us to follow every single day. When we see people in need, when we know people who are marginalized and struggling, we are to stop to see them, to listen, to be moved with compassion, and then respond. And when we do that, we live in Jesus's story. We follow his script. We join him in bringing his kingdom into our world today. And I want you to notice how these two blind men respond. I love this. We are told that they get up and they follow Jesus. And I think it's easy for us to miss this, but they follow Jesus. They join the kingdom. This is disciple language. He's changed their lives and now they're going to give their life to him and he, they join him in the kingdom work that he is about to do. That's what it looks like to do life in Jesus's kingdom. And so this morning as we wrap up, the question that I really want us to wrestle with this weekend is, whose kingdom script are we following? Whose kingdom are we building? 
Because, see, the truth of the matter is it is so easy for us as followers of Jesus to get off kingdom script. It's so easy for us to write our own scripts in our own minds, to write our own story where we're the heroes, where we are the ones who are chosen, where we are the ones who have all the answers. It's so easy for us to make this kingdom that we've been invited into all about who's in and who's out, who's right and who's wrong, who gets to be in power and who should stand down. It's so easy for us to make the kingdom about, frankly, our wants and our needs and our freedoms and our rights and our comfort and our health and our wealth and our resources. It's so easy for us to write a kingdom story that's all about us. And when we do that, we miss out on the beautiful, powerful, redemptive, life-changing kingdom of Jesus that he continues to bring into our world today. And so as we close today, I just want to invite us to take just a, just a moment, just a moment of quiet to calm our hearts and quiet our minds and to invite the Holy Spirit to search us as a community and as individuals to show us where we might be off script, to show us those places in our lives where, where we've been writing our own story and, and we need to get back on track with the story that Jesus is inviting us into. So I want to invite us to have just a quiet moment where we ask the Holy Spirit to search us, to bring us back in line with the kingdom that Jesus is inviting us to live in every single day. So let's just be quiet for just a moment, and then I'll say a quick prayer as we close. Lord Jesus, Son of David, Messiah, King, thank you for the way that you show us what it looks like to live in your kingdom. Thank you for the invitation to join you as a servant. Thank you for this incredible picture of what it looks like to stop and to listen and to honor and to empower and to care for those on the margins. I pray, God, today that you would show us the spaces in each of our lives and in our larger communities, the spaces where we are off kingdom script. I pray, God, that you would flip the script on us today, that you would convict us of those places where we've wandered, where we've made it all about us, and you would bring us back in line with who you are calling us to be. I pray, God, that you would just raise up a huge family of followers of Jesus who have your heart to serve and to love and to care, to be a tangible blessing in our community and in our world so that people might see and that they might know that there is a Messiah and his name is Jesus and he loves them and he values them and he welcomes them as they are, not as they should be. May you continue to speak to us throughout the rest of this week and shape us into the people you've called us to be as your kingdom people today. We ask it in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.